Hello and welcome back to the Why We Write Fantasy podcast. I'm Oscar Cesena and I'm joined by my amazing co-host KJ. Hi, I love being called amazing. I'll take that. <laughs> How's <laughs> it going, that's Oscar? A, that's a compliment. You, you owe me something now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Oscar? Tell me what you're reading. So I am reading uh, Kindred by Octavia E. Butler. Um, yes. It's uh, it's an amazing story. Like it was written even I think before I was born. But the honestly, the writing is is great. Like I just started it. I, I'm in chapter four. Uh, but honestly, the writing is great. It's uh, it's a really cool premise. Like it's it's a woman that travels to another location to mm-hmm. save a kid. That's kind of like the first image that you see, and then she starts traveling back and forth and realizes that it's a different time. It's really cool. What? Like so far, it's really okay. really cool. Like, uh, I mean, I know like Octavia Butler is is a great sci-fi writer, and uh, unfortunately, this is the first time that I'm reading something from her. So, I mean, if it continues like this, I'm just gonna buy more more stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. Good. I've heard she's yeah. I've read a bit of um, Parable of the Sower. Um, quite some time ago, but I haven't read the whole thing, but it's absolutely fascinating. And I can definitely tell why she's, she's a classic. She's an icon. Totally. So yeah, let us know how it goes, Oscar. I will. I will go into deep dive at some point. Yeah. What about you, KJ? What are you reading? (laughs) You're going to laugh at me. So I have felt the need to just escape lately. I don't know what it is. So I have read Sarah J. Mass before. I've read her uh, Throne of Glass series up until the end of book four. I kind of lost steam. I started on her Crescent City series. I have thoughts about it, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the original. I have never read A Court of Thorns and Roses. So I started reading this one and I am about, I don't know, 80, 90 pages in. Hmm. And I am pleasantly surprised. I think that this was her, I think her very first novel published and she wrote it. She was just so young. She was such a baby when she wrote it, but I think it's actually so far, it seems like her best writing. It's very Hmm. simple. It's like, she doesn't overcomplicate things. She knows what she's writing here. And I feel like as she goes along in her careers, uh, SJM, she just feels like she overcomplicates things. So, so far I'm really enjoying it. Feels predictable. Don't care. I need to know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's what I need right now. So I'm going to stick with this and see how it goes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd, uh, I've read only one of Sir J. Mass. It's not, not my my style of fantasy. But no. uh, yeah. yeah, let us know how it goes. Like, uh, it's, I, th- I find it really interesting when it's like the first book that someone writes. You can, yeah. you can see when when they were doing it like without knowing anything. And for me yeah. that I'm writing for the first time, it's really cool to see those um, kind of get inspired of those. So maybe I pick yes. it up. I don't know. You might like it. I don't know. It does definitely feel like a different SJM. It doesn't feel like, you know, the, the later SJM. You think of like Stephen King, you know, if you, hmm. like Pet Cemetery is totally different than like fairy tale. It's right. just his writing style, like how he's creating the the plot, the world building, that sort of thing. It's just... His earlier stuff, I think everybody can agree, is better. Hmm. All right. So maybe it's the same with SGM. I don't know. Sorry, Sarah. I know that you're you're rolling in it. So I don't think my opinion's <laughs> gonna really make or break you. <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say, like, sorry, Sarah, I know you're listening. It's like, yeah, no, of course yeah, you're totally listening. <laughs> what's, what's up, girl? No. <laughs> no, I doubt she's listening. But if she is, hi Sarah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, why don't we dive in then today with what we're talking about? Uh, let's do that. And I think it's pretty interesting. Um, it's, uh, you know what, I think you'd be better doing the intro because you, you know way more about this than I do. So uh, why don't you tell us yeah. what, what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, so this is... I got a wonderful opportunity to chat with one of my very dear friends and phenomenal writers, Ali Temple. Now she is, her story is incredible. She writes, she has written um, queer contemporary romance, uh, male, male voice. And she, a couple of years ago, dipped her toe into the fantasy space, but as like the the Princess Bride retelling, right? Mm. So that that's kind of where her trilogy that she has right now called the pirate and her princess that's this is her trilogy right here okay so that's kind of was the the inspiration for this series is what what would happen if princess buttercup had agency right hmm. like that's a made there would be no princess bride first of all and this is what she says but this trilogy is actually it's queer fantasy it's not romance but it has romance romantic elements but it's female-led characters okay so that it subverts a lot of traditional fantasy in both publishing and storytelling what you know consumers what they do consume because we think about fantasy the history of fantasy publishing it has been for the most part a very male-dominated world right? Heteronormative, male-dominated world. Now, right. recently, there has been a shift into more queer spaces, which is fantastic. We have writers like T.J. Clune, The House in the Cerulean Sea, which is an amazing book. I highly recommend it to everybody. But for, for female-led and for lesbian fantasy, it's been really hard going. And sales are, and acquisitions are actually decreasing, despite the fact that we have names like samantha shannon the priory of the orange tree mm -hmm. which is female-led queer fantasy it's and i mean it's a fantastic book and we also have seal polk even though i knew the the end her novella is also queer female-led fantasy it's still a really tough space to break into hmm. so and this was the issue that allison had ali allison had when she was trying to to get this trilogy out there, the very first of her trilogy called Uncharted. But I'll let her tell her story and how she's she's really carved that space in the indie publishing world. And a lot of authors who are writing this sort of fantasy, female, female-led, queer fantasy, are being met with brick walls when it comes to traditional publishing. So thank you, KJ. This was a, like an amazing introduction, like a really quick summary. And let's go and listen to the interview. Welcome to the Why We Write Fantasy Podcast, a podcast about all the reasons why we love to write and read fantasy. Ali is the author of, I think I counted 14 books, but she'll correct me in a moment if I'm wrong. Um, they include her queer fantasy trilogy, The Pirate and Her Princess, which is her most recent, I believe, the one coming, the last um book and the trilogy is coming out very soon yay mm -hmm. ali lives in yes celebration everywhere ali lives in toronto with her very patient husband and the world's cutest team of rescue pets that i can attest to the fact that they're super super cute she tries to split her time between writing exploring toronto's parks and traveling anywhere that has good wine tragically this leaves no time to clean the house <laughs> 
I am so excited to have her here. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I want to dive into, can, can you take me on your indie publishing journey? I know this is huge. Yeah. Let's start I mean, from uh, book one. <laughs> okay. So uh, I didn't start out, uh, why we write fantasy. I didn't start out writing fantasy. Uh, I started out writing romance, contemporary romance. Um, and yeah, and I really thought that was like going to be my bread and butter for a long time um, and sold my first book to an agent and a small indie queer press. Um, and as these things do, there were some hiccups, there were some issues. Um, and the other books that I had on contract there uh, didn't work out. So um, then I found myself, like I sort of, again, you think things are going to happen a certain way. I wrote a book, I queried it, I signed an agent. Like you sort of think you're following the steps and I'm a very step-oriented person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it all sort of fell apart. to that. <laughs> very step-oriented. Um, to a fault sometimes. Uh, yeah. So And then it all kind of fell apart and my agent went, no, no, don't worry. Um you know, we'll, we'll send them out to other publishers. Someone else will want this. Um, and in fact, nobody else wanted it. Um, there's just the, the market in traditional publishing for queer romances, um, was never very big to begin with. Um, and I think in fact has shrunk a lot over the last, that was all of that went down in 2018. So that was five years ago. Um, and I think the market for queer, like there are obviously still queer romances being published by traditional publishers, but, Um, With the rise of self-publishing, more and more queer romance authors have found homes in self-pub rather than going through the travails of of finding a a traditional publisher. The smallest, you know, a lot of the indie presses have gone under. Um, Yeah, so there just isn't a foothold in the market and self-publishing has embraced queer romance. So I did that for a long time. And yeah. I'm looking at my bookshelf. <laughs> 14 books sounds high, but it's probably 12. Um, and yeah, so I released a bunch yeah. of queer contemporary romances. Um, but also weirdly in that same 2018 year, it was a big year for me. Um, <laughs> so while we were waiting, so while I was still with that agent, still hoping for a traditional publishing deal, um, I can remember it really clearly. It was a Saturday in July. I was making cherry jam. <laughs> Naturally, um, as one does. Naturally, as one does. Um, <laughs> cherry jam is also a very step-oriented process. So yeah. um, you yeah. pit the cherries, you put them in a pot, you add sugar. So you can see a trend. <laughs> um, yeah, and, but I was also still on Twitter. A lot has changed. Um, yeah. And I tweeted something on Twitter about um, The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies ever. Anyone who says it's not a good movie, come over, we'll sit down, we'll watch it again. I'll change your mind. Um okay. And I tweeted about how The Princess Bride would have been a much shorter story if the story had been queer, if there had been lesbians. Um, and I always awesome. thought this, that like Wesley is this like dashing hero. Um, yeah. But in fact, what the hell was his plan? He didn't have yeah. a plan, as far as I can tell. Like <laughs> No steps. Because, cause, no steps. No steps. No steps. <laughs> Wesley, also come over. Let's talk about this. Um, yeah, because he like... Buttercup gets kidnapped and he just happens upon the boat that she's on and climbs the cliffs and goes after them and rescues her. But like, he couldn't possibly have known yeah, um, yeah. that she was going to be kidnapped that day. So what was he going to do? Uh, so I kiddingly said that if they had been lesbians, it would have been a much shorter story because right. uh, the the pirate hero would have had a much 
better uh, plan. And a bunch of people went, actually, I'd really like to read that. And I sort of went, well, I kind of <laughs> like to write it. And I was sort of in limbo waiting for my contemporary romances to, to find that foothold again. So I started writing it um, and kept writing it and sent it to my agent. And meanwhile, we realized that we weren't going to be able to sell those contemporary romances. So I published those and we worked on what eventually became Uncharted for a couple of years. And then that agent and I parted ways. Um, yeah. And I shopped it around to a couple other people. Um, a few of them wrote back to me and said they really liked it. But um, actually it was one agent who replied to my query and said that she really liked it, uh, but she didn't think she'd sell it, She'd be able to sell it if I didn't go back and rewrite it as YA. She thought that the market would be more receptive to it if I wrote it as a young adult story. Um, and I think, I think that's, there's, there's probably some truth in that. I, I do believe like she knows the editors that she knows and who would be open to this kind of story. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, no. I didn't, it's, it, I mean, the, the protagonists in Uncharted are fairly young. They're definitely in their early twenties, but it's, it's a grown up story. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to scale that back. And I also like, that's not where my career is headed. Like the other plot right. bunnies in my head don't involve teenagers. If I thought that yeah. was something I wanted to pursue, then maybe it's something we could have talked about more that agent and I, um, but yeah, all of my other plot bunnies are grown ups with grown up problems. So um, yeah. So it was at that yeah. point that I decided to uh, publish it myself. I already at that point had, five or six independent romances out. So I sort of knew the nuts and bolts of what it takes to take a book from a word draft manuscript to a finished product that you can sell online. Um, yeah. And it came out. Uncharted was my first. I have it here. Uh-huh. Yay. Um, show us. Yay. Show us. Yes. Look at that cover. <laughs> Look at uh, that. I and I can attest. Such a good book. So good. I was one of the honored ones Thank to you. be able to be one of the first beta readers. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was so long ago. And I was thinking, okay, that was the same. Out. Yeah. That was the same summer. It might have been the summer before, actually. Which might have been while I was. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It was 2019. Um, it was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it's. So uh, yeah. So it came out in February 2021. And I mean, looking back in hindsight, like. Yeah, of course it was going to do pretty well. Um, like, you, you can't go wrong with lesbian pirates. Um, but at the time, again, I thought I was going to be writing contemporary romances for a long time. Yeah. And this was just going to be this, like, sidestep into a sort of more fantastical kind of world. Um, but things happen. The pandemic. Yeah. Um, writing contemporary romances. I know a lot of people who have struggled to write contemporary romances um, since the pandemic. Like, And it's it's weird, nitty gritty questions like... Like I, I did release one uh, in the summer of 2020 and like they were at a restaurant and it felt so weird to be writing a restaurant scene. Yeah. Who, who, who was going to restaurants then? Do people yeah. have to wear masks? Like it asked all of these uncomfortable questions and it's not fun. And romance is supposed to be escapism um, and, a, you know, a fantasy all of its own kind of genre. Um, yeah. So, so a yeah. uncharted was really well received and B I didn't want to be a COVID downer. So yeah, yeah, so I'm focusing more on on fantasy these days because then I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about people wearing masks and going to restaurants and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. exist so, in the fantasy world. I mean, so, your fantasy world. <laughs> yes, not this one. Yeah, there are others, not I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm, and the third one. installment, Unleash. There's like a, a plague element in it that definitely has a lot of COVID parallels. Um, 
Yeah, so so the, it does come back, but but not in that uncomfortable, icky, like, yeah. downer kind of way. Um, yeah, July 2020 kind of downer way. We can't go yeah, back there. Yeah, no, no COVID pandemic stories then. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, like, so contemporary romance is one yeah. thing, and then we're moving into fantasy, which yes. feels like, is it a romanticy? Is it a fantasy? How did you get into fantasy? Going from like Puppuccino and, you know, which is one of her her contemporary romance novels. It is so good. Thank you. Um, I mean, I've always like I'm looking at my bookshelf and like there are a lot of fantasy titles there. Um, I actually like romance was late for me compared to when you talk to a lot of romance readers, they'll talk about, you know, well, I used to like steal my mom's Harlequins or my sister was reading them and she'd like sneak them to me so that my mom yeah. didn't find out. And like, I didn't read any of that. I was reading, I was reading fantasy when, when yeah. those people were learning about, yeah, about dukes and billionaires, I was reading about princesses and, and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah. it's been fantasy for me for a long time. Um, but when I decided to start like actively trying to write something that I could be published. Uh, at that point I was reading romance. And so that was the thing I started writing at the time. It seemed easier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but they Fantasy definitely required easier. No, at the time writing romance seemed easier, right. like a contemporary right. setting. When I started writing uncharted, um, I was very concerned about the world building uh, and right. not being able to do the world building justice. Um, right. And and I, I I don't know. I mean, ultimately, you're still world building in contemporary settings. It's just a world that feels more familiar. But you still have yeah. to go through the process of building the fictional town, the office, wherever it is. So, um, yeah. So in the end, I don't know that writing fantasy is really that much more difficult unless you want to spend years building a really detailed, complex magic system or something like that. But for right. Uncharted, <laughs> Uncharted is very much sort of low fantasy yeah. it sort of mirrors a historical earth there's no magic um so yeah so so i don't know that it's actually all that more difficult but yeah but i mean i read um i was thinking about this the other day like where did so i mean i, I read a lot of fairy tales as a kid um and then like i grew up when i started reading for myself in like chapter books like it was the late 80s early 90s i read a lot of like babysitter's club and nancy drew and the saddle club right. But like, but YA fantasy didn't exist the way it no. does now. No, um, it's different so when we were I, growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, I went straight from the Babysitters Club to like six book epic fantasy David Eddings like gods and oh, wizards yeah. and all of that. Oh stuff. yeah. Like, oh there yeah. Was, there was no in between. <laughs> there was just like yeah. contemporary teenage girls whose moms didn't understand them, and then boom, magic. Yeah. Um, easier to handle. Did, Magic is so much easier to handle. <laughs> it like, yeah, I don't know. And I read those for a long, long time. Like I read those through all of high school um, and into university. Um, and then I stopped reading for a while. Like you just, you know, you get busy with work and life and, and reading wasn't the hobby I wanted to pursue at that time. Um, and then people asked, so how did you get to romance? And I got to romance through fantasy. Um, because I like fell down the like teenage twilight yeah. rabbit hole, uh, in my twenties. And so I read all of the, the contemporary vampire YA stuff because then YA fantasy was a thing. I was, yeah. I remember like going 
So like I would go to the bookstore and I bought the first chapters. No, I bought the first Twilight book at like a chapters in Burlington, Ontario. And I was so embarrassed to be shopping in the young adult section. And like, I was 26. Like I was not, you were was not that of, grown up. Yeah. And I felt grown up. Close. Um, and so when I bought the next one, like I bought it at a different bookstore. And then when I bought the third one, I bought that one at a third bookstore because I didn't want the salespeople to remember I was like the weirdo <laughs> lady shopping in the YA section. Um, oh my God. And all of those you. vampire stories. <laughs> And then, and this is a true story. I was at a shopper's drug mart in Coburg, Ontario. I was taking the train back to Toronto and I was out of books to read. Um, and and there was there was a shopper's across the street from the train station. So I went there. There's always a shelf of books and they had a vampire book. And I was like, well, this looks good. Um, and it was, I still have it. It was Dream Warrior by Sherilyn Kenyon. And I didn't know it was going to be a romance novel. Um, but like those teenage vampire novels were very chaste. Um, lots yeah. of texting um but because twilight had a very pg sort of foundation all of those books had a very similar heat level um and Sherilyn kenyon did not yeah yeah and you, that's translated now into your trilogy uh, t- tell okay. me how you've um embodied feminism and what it means to be a strong non-cis male leader and hero of your own story into this yeah trilogy. um I mean, so because it started out as the Princess Bride, but lesbians. Um, yeah. I mean, let's stop there. We we always <laughs> knew it was going to have that quote unquote strong female lead. Um, yeah. One of the things I realized early on, one of the things I've continued. Um, so the Princess Bride, the original William Goldman's Princess Bride, I saw in the movie theater in, I think, 1988, 89. Um, right. And at the time, like I was seven or eight and it had the word princess in the title. So clearly princess must be the hero. But when you go back or when you try and write a, a queer version of it, in fact, Buttercup has no agency whatsoever. No, like she just, she's there to be beautiful and something to be attained. Um, and I, again, I still love this movie and this story, but she is not the protagonist. Yeah. of of the princess bride and i realized very early on when i started writing uncharted um that it was going to have to be a very different story if i wanted george georgina um to be the heroine of that book because right. she needed to be able to make choices and take control of of the world around her um rather than just being a set piece in a dress being moved around right. so that certainly yeah. had a really big impact um, and then later in the series, Captain Cinder is the protagonist of, of the second book in the series, Unbroken, um, but obviously features a lot in the first. Like, so the whole, she's also very, she is sort of the quintessential, I, I think more than George in some ways, if you think strong female lead, like I yeah. think Captain Cinder is that character. Um, but, but is still flawed and still has a lot of baggage. Um you know, I, and not to say that it's perfect or that it reflects every feminist experience or that that there isn't more work that could be done. But yeah. it was something that I tried really intentionally to start from that place of Buttercup not being her own heroine um, to create a character who could be and create a world where where women aren't just set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And I see there, too, where there was um, where you gave the pushback on making this YA. I mean, I've read it as well. So I Mm -hmm. definitely don't think I don't think it would have worked as YA. I think it wouldn't have been as deep as nuanced, the layers that you have and the the you have messy characters. One thing I love so much about Captain Cinder is how messy she is. She is just 
She is yeah, dirty. No, she is, she, is, she is a mess. Bad choices. Like, <laughs> Regularly, un- in fact. Unbathed most days. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's, no, she yeah. Is. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's not just me. Um, you know, we can talk about this more, but like, traditional publishing has a tendency to say, particularly in in speculative fiction and science fiction and fantasy, if it's written by women and it's led by women, it must be YA. And so, right. you know, so people like Sarah J Mass, who has a huge following and wildly successful, but, you know, it's does have right. some pretty explicit it's sexual right. content in their books. Like that's not, you don't watch your 13 year old. reading no. that. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm picking her because she's already yeah. had a lot of attention put on her and these conversations have been had. Um, and it's not really about her specifically. It's about the industry that right. says these things can only be sold as YA, that there isn't a big enough market of fantasy and science fiction reading women to put right. them in adult fantasy and science fiction. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's not true. Um, uh, on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon in, <laughs> in January, I woke up from a nap. Uh, and was literally still in bed scrolling through TikTok and saw a video where a woman said, uh, is this book really YA or was it just written by a woman? And I thought, aha, I have a story about that. And I said that this is one of the reasons that indie publishers or indie authors exist is because we have the flexibility to say, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm going to publish it myself. Um, And then at last count, 460,000 people proceeded to lose their minds. Uh, And I know there are TikToks (laughs) out there that have more views and more interaction. Um, But like the number of times I've been on TikTok for a couple of years, I make videos, the number of times I have said lesbian pirate fantasy and like 200 people maybe uh, saw that video for it to go from 200 to 450,000. Um, over the course of 72 hours yeah. it was pretty wild. Um, and so, the, you know, I think it just goes to prove that the appetite is there um, yeah. for adult queer fantasy, for adult women's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it exists. It absolutely right. exists. Um, and if you look at my KDP ba- dashboard right now, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Um, Which is K- K- no, no oh, KDP so, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So KDP is... Kindle digital publishing. Yeah. I think it's Kindle digital publishing. I just like (laughs) me and all of my author friends, we just call it KDP. Um, But it's, it's Amazon's digital publishing platform for self-published authors. So it's, it's the back end. When you read a book on KU on Kindle unlimited, it got uploaded through KDP. Um, And that's where all my books are. So uh, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's been really gratifying and a lot of fun to see, people react so positively to this, especially a book that's two years old. Um, Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. You've had so many wins lately too. I feel like you're, I mean, this is the thing I'm always so inspired about you is that you not only, like, I mean, you're an amazing writer. You can also, to be an amazing writer and then to be an amazing storyteller are two different things. Yes. Right. So you can create, you can craft a story, a world, and it's just every time it's like, it, it's kind of perfect. And I'm very jealous. I mean, you know, I'm like, eh, good for you. It's great. And then I die inside a little because yeah. I'm a good friend like that. Yes. Well, but this is, but this is normal. This is how authors is, operate. Oh, yes. so you go, that's by amazing. Way, and then we way, like yeah. we mutter die. to ourselves yeah. when your back is turned. Yeah. yeah. Um, it even doesn't even mean though we love we're you. still happy. Yes. 
Exactly. It doesn't mean we love you less. We just have to feel our feelings before we get yeah. on with our day. Yeah. And we have feelings. Um, we have feelings. Yes. But you're also but a it, business person. Like this is yes. the thing with, with indie publishing um, that I think a lot of authors, you know, writers, they're just so intimidated by. And why a lot of them think that they can only really go the traditional route, which is not true. I mean, you can go both routes. No. You can be a hybrid. 100%. But, yeah. And, and I mean, the, tr- the truth is, I hate to say it, but like, you know, unless you get that big, like the kind of thing get, that gets reported in Publishers mm-hmm. Weekly, like unless you get that big deal with a giant advance, like you're still going to have to do a lot of the hustle, even yep. with a traditional publisher. Um, yep. You know, they'll send out some press releases, they'll get some reviews. But after that sort of like new book buzz dies off, unless you're still out there talking about the book, promoting the book, like it, it's going to... I don't want to say wither because that makes it sound awful, but it just, it loses that visibility really yeah. quickly. Um, yeah. You know, and I was fortunate in that I came to writing my day job before uh, I became an author and certainly I'm not advocating that anybody quit their day job. Um, yeah, someone do else that. asked me about that. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, don't do it. <laughs> almost every author I know either still has a full-time job or if they are a full-time author, they have a partner with a full-time job and a good yeah. job. Um, so don't quit your day job. I did quit my day job. That's a separate story. I still have other income streams from freelancing and stuff like that. Um, I'm totally lost my train of thought now. Too. <laughs> oh yeah, my day job. That's right, my day job. Um, you I blacked it corporate... out. <laughs> God, I worked in corporate marketing um, for years before I ever published a book. So things like you need social media accounts, you need a newsletter. Like I was already doing that yeah. to tell people about the business stuff I was involved in. So so it felt less daunting to me than yeah. it does to lots of people. And I often, when I'm talking to authors, like I have to check myself um, and not just go, oh, come on, it's not that hard. Like just do it because like it is when you're starting out. I didn't send that newsletter on my first yeah. Um like it, it, it is daunting. Um, but just like writing is a skill, um, the uncharted books, the quality of the writing, the tightness of the writing is far better than my first book. Not to so say my good. first book was bad because it wasn't, it got published, people read it, they had enjoyed it. But like the skill of writing, my skill of writing has improved over time and marketing is a skill that you can improve over time as yeah. well. Um, yeah. And that is the joy of getting into publishing for the long haul um, is you get to see these things mature and grow. Um, you hear a lot about like social media, social media, book marketing, you have to be on social media. Um, I don't think that's true. And I certainly don't think you have to be on all social media. Um, just do the ones you like, the ones that will not incinerate your mental health. Um, because, because you have no control over those algorithms and who sees what on any given day. I got locked out of my Facebook account last week. I had a new romance. (laughs) Yeah. For you. Um, (laughs) sorry. Uh, you have no control over those things. So, um, so do the ones that you enjoy. I enjoy TikTok. Um, right. So basically just be yourself, do what you can do. Yes. I think that's one of the the best pieces of advice that I received, you know, like I'm trying to get out there on social media as an author, cause yeah. I have a book coming out next year. And now I'm already yes. thinking like, Oh my God, no one knows of me. Like, and I'm also a yep. turtle. So that doesn't help. <laughs> um, the best piece of advice that I ever read, ever heard, was that just be yourself, just do what you do. You know, if you love cat pictures, put up a cat picture. Like people love these things because they also want to see people. I mean, like follow hashtag cats on Instagram. And that (laughs) is my entire feed. It's amazing. Um, People want to see who you are. So just be you, you know, that's the thing. And and if 
you look back after the fact and go, God, I really should have sent that newsletter. Well, like, A, you can still send it today. And B, when you write the next book, you can send it then. So um, yes. Yes. there's always another kick at the can. I never want people yeah. to think like you publish one book and it doesn't sell the way you hoped. So clearly you're a failure. Like that's not, that's yeah. not how the game works. Mm-mm. Keep going. Keep going. Oh. Yes. Yep. Well, yep. thank you so much, Allison. I'm so glad we did this. I mean, you're like my BFF and I'm also envious and in admiration and I'm kind of a fan <laughs> person. Like Aww, it's a really awkward friendship. We have. It's one of those moments where you can be like, I know her. Um, <laughs> I know. But it's I okay. Cause be I at the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i know you too um and when yeah. your book comes out next year it's gonna be awesome oh, so uh, thank you yeah it goes both ways. thank you well thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the interview i think it was amazing that kg has a really great interview skills uh and uh, don't forget to subscribe on to your youtube, uh, YouTube channel or our podcast if you prefer to listen to the audio version go and find our podcast to whatever you listen to to them yes and check us out on instagram we love instagram the handle why we write fantasy follow the hashtag or use the hashtag wwf and we want to hear from you thanks for listening